The Mongol Rally is plugged as the greatest motoring adventure on the planet. It was created by the Adventurists, an organization that believes things have gone soft in the travel adventuring industry. They plan events with no maps, little structure, and absolutely zero handholding. Now, while they have several events they run yearly, it all started in 2004 with the Mongol Rally, a 10,000-mile intercontinental car rally from London, England to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. Well, my name is Bassam Tarazi, uh, born of a Palestinian father and a Dutch mother in America. I was raised up uh, in the land of plenty while also being um, humbled by understanding that there's a bigger world out there for me uh, and one that I need to help understand and, and experience. That is author, entrepreneur, and adventurer Bassam Tarazi. Longtime listeners might remember Bassam as he was the featured interview in two of our episodes from season one. The first, discussing bias, and the second, on experience. In 2014, these two forces, one adventure and one adventurer, met. So for me, it was one of those things, I want to see if I can do it. Uh, I want to see if I can get there. I, I want to see parts of the world that I don't think I'm going to go to on my own. I don't think I would go to Turkmenistan or Uzbekistan or Mongolia as a place of, of a destination. Nothing against those places. It just wasn't kind of you know, on your checklist of places that, that you want to go. So, uh, you know, I was in my early 30s. I think, yeah, you kind of look at the calendar, you look at your life and you think, well, when else might I do something like this? And so I ended up signing up for a team I didn't have and a car I didn't own just on my own at the in August 2013, hoping that I'd be able to put it together. The Adventurist website describes the Mongol rally as a thundering 10,000 miles across the mountains, desert, and steep of Europe and Asia each summer. But while it's still a daunting challenge, don't let the description and sound effects give you the wrong impression. There's actually another challenge that we haven't yet mentioned. And with that, it's led me to my latest book, which is called Borders, Beds, and Baby Wipes, A Big Adventure in a Tiny Car, about my diabolical trip from London all the way to Mongolia in a car uh, that had an engine just fairly bigger than a lawnmower, let's say, a 42-horsepower engine, 850 cc's. So maybe it sounds a little more like this. Nick, what are you doing? I'm, I'm trying to start the lawnmower, Brett. You gotta, you gotta like, you gotta hold the handle. Yeah, I know you have to hold the handle. You gotta, you gotta pull it upward really, Brett, really quickly. I, I know, I know you've got to just Sometimes yank on it. Sometimes you sort of have to do it a few times. Yeah, I know, I've mowed a lawn before. Motor... There, see? There you go. Well, what's the craziest route we could ever get to? So they decided, can we drive from London all the way to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, in a car with an engine no bigger than one liter. A one liter engine, I don't even think you can buy one in the States right now, to be honest. It is a very, very small car. Uh, and the point is that you shouldn't be doing this in a, in a Land Rover 4x4 because that's too easy. That's too comfortable. The idea is do it and see if you can solve the problems along the way. It might be you have to interact with the people there. You might have to put on your problem-solving hat. You're going to have to do a lot of things that you didn't prepare for. And their whole idea is that that just makes us more interesting people uh, if we can do it that way. So what did Bassam learn 
by driving essentially a fancy lawnmower for 10,000 miles. And what does that have to do with a weird dream I had about a website? Well, let's take an exploration and see if we can find out. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we are exploring what it means to explore. Joining us is an explorer and author, Bassam Tarazi. Plus, we go to a hockey rink in Canada to find out who won our Tragically Hip Lyric Contest, and we got some brand new digs. My name is Brett Gaida, the guy over there mowing the lawn. Hey, Nick, say hi. What? I can't hear you, Brett. That's Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. Let me start by asking a question. What does it mean to explore in a world where everything's been found? That question was posed to me by Bassam Tarazi in a conversation we had about a week before our interview. And it sort of shaped the conversation you're about to hear. Now, this episode is going to look a little different than most Where There's Smoke shows, in that we're going to start by sharing a good portion of my conversation with Bassam, and then to close out the show, I'm going to share a dream I had with you. (laughs) That sounds kind of weird when I say it out loud, but... But I think it'll work. Anyway, let's just agree that it will be an exploration. And the thing about an exploration is you never really know what you're going to end up with. That's what exploring is about, right? It is the act of searching for the purpose of discovery. And if you knew beforehand what you'd find, well, it wouldn't really be an exploration. So again, we'll start with some of a recent conversation I had with Bassam Tarazi. It's sort of a everything I need to know about life I learned on my way to Mongolia lesson. And as we jump in, I've asked Bassam to tell me a story from his experience on the Mongol rally, something that really stuck with him. I call it this sense of Bedouin hospitality that happens, you know, in parts of the world where you need the other, you need your neighbor to help you because you've been in a place that you hadn't had nothing. And I just remember this one, this one, this one moment comes to mind. We were in, in, uh, in Uzbekistan and we needed to kind of hit the road quickly. Uzbekistan didn't have a lot of banks that gave out us dollars. Uh, they have a gas shortage. So there's just all these kind of hurdles we, we needed to climb. And so we just ended up, we were talking about it at the small hotel we were staying at. And the receptionist, this guy there just kind of said, hey, can I help? Like, what what are you guys looking for? And fast forward to this guy is, again, a hotel receptionist. He is then, minutes later, running out the front door, literally sprinting down the street with a whole bunch of our money that we need to exchange into into local currency. He comes back and he calls his boss, just letting him know, hey, I might have to leave the desk. You know, these guests need help. And his boss said, whatever they need, just help them out. Then he gets in his car, drives us across town to a bank that gives us US dollars. And then there's the one gas station in town that has a quarter mile long line. He runs across a really busy highway and negotiates to the to the owners of the of the gas station to let us in because we have to be somewhere and these are our guests in our country, et cetera, et cetera. And we end up cutting a line of about a hundred people and no one beeped horns, no one honked, no one gave us, you know, that much crap for it. And it almost was like, 
wait, shouldn't you be honking? Because I'd be honking in my country. What were these people trying to cut? And they just kind of were like, hey, you know what? Whatever's going on is, is going on up there. And this guy, Alexi, we, we, we tried to tip him and he just wouldn't accept it. He said, what do you, what do you mean? No, this is, you're, you're my guest here. You know, this was my pleasure to, to help you. And it kind of like, to be honest, Brett, I was like pissed because my only me, maybe I'm too selfish. I was like, wait, if I can't pay you for this, wh what does this say about me? Because I wouldn't do this for strangers. So now all of a sudden I was looking at myself, like I am lesser and holy cow, uh, you know, I need to rethink how I treat strangers and, and all that kind of stuff. So there were a handful of moments like that, which kind of floored me. And then we'd be on the road and we'd just be quiet in the car for two hours because it would be one of those moments that you're like, man, what does it say about me? And I've told a story about Alexi ad nauseum since that happened. I don't know if Alexi ever thinks about that day anymore in his life, but it, it affected mine. Another sentence I sort of highlighted in the book because it stood out to me, and, and there are many stories that speak to this, and that's just one of them is you said the kindness of strangers is vaster than anything you can anticipate. Yeah. You know, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday that, you know, we were talking about this before we started sort of the, the interview here, that there's a, you know, there's a lot of sort of what many of us would, would, would judge as bad going on in the world and people doing you know, people just not treating people very well and, and, and stories coming out of people not treating people very well and sort of, there, you know, that, that happens in our world. We all know it. But it seems like the influx of those, you know, those stories, those facts is so huge right now that, I don't know, I, I guess it feels like sometimes it can be easy to forget that there's as much, if not more, goodness in the world. It just maybe isn't as loud right now. Far faster. I think that the world, you know, I think 99% of the world is good and it's just that's not news, right? That that person helping the other person, that's not going to make the news. Hey, guess what happened today? Sarah helped Mike because Mike had a flat tire. You know, that that's not going to be news. But unfortunately, it's like when we hear these stories, because news, because bad sells more than good and bad gossip is, is worth more than good gossip. It's just, you know, unfortunately, the transactional uh, news cycle that that we're in it's the bad and the, oh my god you should be afraid and so keep clicking keep clicking keep clicking you know i remember my mother telling me you never know when your smile might save someone's life and that's true she would say but some it matters how you treat people what if you're walking on the street and the person that was standing there next to you was going home to kill themselves that day what if and your compliment or your smile or your hey great scarf or love your shoes or great smile whatever whatever it was kind of just change them or they drop something and you picked it up or you helped them somewhere. So I think, you know, that's just a lesson for all of us is that those, those human interactions, somebody's always a stranger and somebody's always an other. And I think when you travel, you become the other and you see how visceral you connect on things like food, water, shelter, safety. And you realize that 99% of the world is just trying to get those things and they want, you know, a better life for their kids. They want a little bit more leisure time and, you know, a roof over their head. So the, I wonder, you know, when we were talking previously, you mentioned to me that there was sort of this idea that one of the working titles for the book was Eat and Move East and, and how, you know, every day it was just, you know, what'd you do today? I ate and I moved east. And and then I hear sort of these these little sound bites from your parents or even sort of the understanding that you grew up around. And even as you tell these stories about your trip, I, I see this this theme of 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 simplicity. Um, right. and, and, 
And I wonder, like, in all the complexity of the world, or even the complexity of this experience, right? I mean, the amount of moving parts going on for you when you're driving this little car, you know, 10,000 miles, everything from all the moving parts in the car to the passports and the visas to the people that you're interacting with to, you know, when's daylight going to end to do we have gas to where does the road go and are we on the right street? Like all that complexity, did that simplicity or or did, do you, did you, were you sort of aware of simplicity being a, a real gift in all, all of that? Yes. I think that in our day-to-day lives, I think we're so concerned and maybe unsure of what should I be doing today, right? How, what am I trying to accomplish? And was that a good day? Did I work on the right things? Was this, um, did I move this far enough? You know, what does this mean? The Mongol rally and things like that, and maybe that's also like hiking a mountain, <clears throat> why I enjoy those things, because the you, you understand what the goal is and there's no ambiguity around it. And so for us, the eat and move east thing was we got a lot of joy out of that. Even if our day was kind of derailed because we didn't end up going where we wanted to, we kind of were able to look at the map and say, hey, well, did we move further east today? And are we starving? Okay, maybe we're close to starving, but we got a few meals in, then that's a good day. You know, then we can smile and rest our heads at night and end up getting, and we can get up the next day. So I think there is this, this agreement, this silent agreement with yourself when you do something like the Mongol rally where it's kind of like, hey, for four or five, six weeks, whatever it is, I know what success is. And there's there's a wonderful amount of joy that kind of that kind of goes around that. As we've been talking about this, I, I was thinking earlier, I think about this a lot, like, what is it that's this value of exploration and, and going off to places? And, you know, because the truth of it is, if I if you drive 10,000 miles from, you know, London to, uh, where does it end? Ulaanbaatar. To Ulaanbaatar, right? And ultimately, you're learning about yourself or learning a lot about yourself, then, you know, someone could argue, well, you could have learned those same lessons here. You could have stayed here and learned them in three weeks if you just maybe paid more attention or were more outgoing or were more vulnerable, whatever you wanted to say. And I've always thought to myself, well, I think part of the reason why these explorations and these trips, part of the reason why we learn more about ourselves is because we're sort of out of autopilot because we're in the unfamiliar. And I'm not saying that's not true. I think there's truth to that. But as you were talking, I, I then it then just struck me that, wow, I wonder if maybe part of the reason there's so much value in these explorations is because we actually simplify. Because I remember when I, like in my, so many trips, but I remember specifically when I traveled around the world for nine months and I remember telling people that like you don't realize how much stress you have in your life and I'm not talking about the big stress. I'm talking about whose birthday is it today? And do I have to pick up milk on the way home? And um, oh my God, I got to remember to fix that squeaky door. Because when I traveled for those nine months, I remember like every night I'd put my head on my pillow and I would fall right asleep because I wasn't yeah. thinking about what I didn't do or did do or what I had to do tomorrow. And I'd wake up every day and I was just in the moment because there wasn't all. And I, so I guess the point I'm making is like, I wonder. I've never really thought about the value of that simplicity because it's so hard to find that in our world because our world is so complex now. I mean, I mean, maybe not literally complex, but we've made it complex. Totally, totally. And that's why I think I get back to, you know, whatever I've quote unquote accomplished in my life, uh, things I've finished or, or done or, or, you know, was interested in and, and tackled. I think I take it back and I'm I'm pretty good at just breaking it down. And we've talked about this to like 30 minute segments, you know, for me, it's kind of like, well, okay, if I would like to control these next 30 minutes, 
what would I like to get done? Ooh, I want to work on this blog post or this uh, edit, this photo or this video or and all that kind of stuff. So it's like trying to simplify what I'm going to be doing. And after 30 minutes, 40 minutes, my brain starts wondering about other things. Hey, wait, do you have to get that milk? Did you exercise today and all that kind of stuff? So yeah, it gets back to my, I think, you know, we're a bored species and sometimes it kind of, it gnaws at us because we don't know what we're supposed to be working on. And I think maybe things like the Mongol rally is like the closest we get to like being a lion, right? A lion knows kind of when it wakes up in the morning, there's only a few things it's going to be doing that day. And that's success. And maybe it's just our way for us to just be a little bit more primal, a little bit more in tune with our day-to-day surroundings. I, I think you're right. I think, I think travel like that injects that kind of focus and, and shows you it's okay to be successful in, in that kind of thing beyond what you're going to learn about yourself and, and all those kind of things. There is something about that. And maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe that is partly why I like climbing mountains too, because there's this thing and it's 23,000 feet and it's going to be a three week climb. And then that's it. Like you said, when you're on the climb, you know, you got to get to the next Ridge, you get to the Ridge, you can go to bed. You don't got to worry about anything else. And you sleep like a baby. Now, um, and we talk about exploration, we can sort of talk about this this vast thing of of you know the world or or really anywhere. I mean, I think we're talking about anywhere that you haven't been. I mean, I sometimes think to myself, there, you know, I spent so much time thinking about all the places outside of North America I could explore when there's you know vast places within North America that I've never seen as well. Um, but we sort of talked about this before. This idea that you know, the question we posed to each other was, or that you posed sort of initially, which was, what does it mean to explore in a world where everything has been found? And that oftentimes when we ex- when we go out there and explore some place, something, it's not really about the, the external place or thing, right? Correct. Any way you look at it, like I would say the, the three bullets, I think, you know, I, I think we travel because what exploration can teach us about ourselves, you know, the first bullet might be might be fortitude, like something like the Mongol rally, you know, so you're seeing the world through the lens of grit and teamwork, uh, maybe mountain climbing or any kind of expedition, right? It is that we are the curious ape. We want to see what we're made of. We like testing our limits and all that kind of stuff. That's a very self-driven thing. Uh, the second thing I would say is, is we, we learn empathy while we're out there, right. Through the lens of the other, uh, you know, whether it's immersion into like, you know, foreign cultures, cuisines, customs, all that kind of thing It's putting yourself in the shoes of these people, uh, whether whatever the world is saying about them or all people from X are Y, then you go to, you know, these places and you realize, Oh my God, this person was not like everybody said. And what does it mean to be empathetic? What does it mean to understand and all those kind of things? And then you leave that moment kind of questioning yourself and how you act and how you treat others and trying not to read a book by its cover and all that kind of stuff. And maybe the third bullet is something like humility uh, that we get through when we travel. We we see the world through the lens of time uh, by visiting historical sites or revisiting places you've once seen. So when you see something that's 500 or 1,000 or 5,000 years old, it kind of reminds you again, whoa, I am not that big of a deal. You know, my whole little world isn't the only thing that exists. And so, um, you know, exploration is one of those things that you don't know what you're going to learn, but you do it anyway. You do it because you'll ascertain something about yourself or, or the human thread in general. And I kind of think that travel is as much about self-reflection and self-actualization as it is about seeing that place. Yes, there's something about seeing Angkor Wat with your eyes. There's something about being there that's, oh my goodness, look at this. And, and 
you know, feeling that awe for something that maybe humans did or the earth has, has, has shaped. But then immediately after that, it's that quiet moment where you're thinking, well, what does this mean for me now? Right? How have I changed? What does this mean uh, for me in my life uh, having seen this? Um, and how might I look at things differently? I kind of think that's what we're all, that's what we're all looking for, for that little conversation and growth. And, um, you know, if life is, is anything, it's to adapt. And so maybe through exploration and travel, we're constantly adapting uh, our worldview and, and uh, what we think we're, we're capable of ourselves. How often have you set out on an exploration to reach some sort of destination or goal, and yet along the way it became about something completely different? You set out seeking some external goal, to climb a mountain, run a marathon, start a business, see the Taj Mahal, but your most valuable discovery ends up being an internal one. Computers aren't the thing. gets us to the thing. The world we live in, <laughs> it is busy. So how do you find you in all this noise? Well, maybe exploration is one of those ways. Because inside of us, regardless of the goal, there is always something or someone new to discover. And so maybe that is what it means to explore in a world where everything's been found. Hey, explorers, it's Nick. And some of you might remember the show we did a few weeks ago about the Tragically Hip and the fact that Brett had a contest in there. He had weaved the lyrics to 12 hip songs into the script of the show, and your task as listeners were to find the lyrics, identify the songs, and then email us. And the grand prize was five Tragically Hip albums on vinyl or 150 Canadian dollars. And we have a winner. His name is Jason, lives in Toronto, he's married with two kids, and coincidentally, strangely, it turns out that both he and Brett attended York University at the exact same time, but only met now, 25 years later, because of the Tragically Hip and a podcast. In a situation that, to me, could not be more perfect, more Canadian, when Brett got a hold of Jason to tell him the news, Jason was at a hockey arena for his son's game. Hello, Jason speaking. Hey, Jason, it's Brett. Hey, Brett. How you doing? I'm good, man. Good. So you at the hockey Can rink? Can you hear me? I am, yeah. I just stepped inside the lobby area. All right. The lonely side, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, you, how did you hear about the show? Memory serves correct. I think it was the um, it was a retweet from Dave Bedini. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and so I saw that, and then, uh, of course, I check out anything that's... Uh, that's hip related. So I, I thought I'd give it a spin and listen to it and uh, quite enjoyed it. And it was, uh, you know, I picked up pretty early on that uh, you were weaving uh, hip lyrics into the, uh, into the story. And then, uh, and then once we got to the end of it, you said, nah, I'm going to make it into a contest. And I thought, okay, well, let me give it another listen here and sort of jot down the, the various songs. And, 
and it was fun. So, well, I can tell you, first of all, you won the contest. Oh, so wonderful! Congratulations! Thank and, you very much. And you are the only person who got all twelve. You're kidding! Not kidding. So, so several people got eleven. Yeah. Um, and I almost won. I bet you could probably. I don't know if you remember at this point what the twelve were, but I bet you could probably almost guess the one people didn't get. It was the same one. It was sort of a more uh, obscure one. It was. There was an obscure one there, and I can't remember which one it was. But I know that there was one. That I go, oh, that's going to be a tough one for people to get. Yeah. So it was the uh, the fleeting nature of life on display, that's which it, is from yeah. now for Plan A. Yeah. And and I think right. part of it too is not only is it an obscure song, but it it sort of didn't really sound like a lyric in the show. Like it fit sort of perfectly yeah. with what I was talking about. Right. Sure. So, yeah. Um, so I was impressed. It was fun. Um, and uh, I've been a hip fan for a long time since, uh, you know, early nineties. I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, the band uh, and uh, they couldn't have been nicer when I met them. I was only in university at the time and it sort of heightened my love for the band. My wife is uh, sort of worn thin by my, my passion for the band, but uh, maybe to, when she finds out that uh, I actually made some money on, on, on this love, yeah. as opposed to costing us money, <laughs> she might be all right with it. <laughs> exactly. See, finally, yeah. finally, it, it all paid off. It was a, it was That's a, it was right. a, uh, it was a long-term play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool, brother. Well, listen, I'll let you get right. back to your uh, to your son's hockey game. Well, I appreciate your time. I enjoyed the show and. Uh, and all the best to you and your family over the holidays. All right. Thanks, Jason. Take care, brother. All right. Thanks, Brett. So there you go. Where There's Smoke, helping marriages since 2017. We want to congratulate Jason again and say great job. And we are excited to be able to award him the grand prize. We also want to thank Dave Bedini for raising visibility of the show and also helping marriages through his retweets. Also, congratulations to our two runners-up. Is it runner-ups? Runners-up? I don't know. <laughs> They each got 11 of the 12 songs. First runner-up, David Moylan in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. And second runner-up, Patty Lynn Lang. Probably be posting the answers to the contest, the song lyrics, and the titles on our Facebook page, as well as in our next newsletter. So be sure to follow us both of those places if you want to find out the answers. And again, thank you to everybody who participated. I'm, I'm a bit inspired. And maybe I'll weave a dozen Bojack Horseman quotes into my next script. That went slightly better than the worst it could have possibly gone, so... Hooray? You never know. Stay tuned. <sighs> Dream. A website. Sort of based off of, um... I was dreaming about Gordon from Halt and Catch Fire. And he had this site that talked about stuff he'd done, but also other people in his life had done. That is me, sitting in my bathroom in the middle of the night, recording a voice memo into my iPhone. Why? <laughs> because I had just had this dream and I didn't want to forget it. Now I feel I need to frame this dream by sharing a little bit of what led up to it. November sort of 
roughed me up. There was just a lot of stuff going on, some connected to my mom, other stuff not, but but all of it you know, pressing my buttons and and really, really winding me up. And I was self-aware enough to know that I should be able to manage my emotions, you know, that it was my reaction to all this stuff that was that was causing the stress and anxiety. You know, not the stuff itself. But I was also kind of watching myself go crazy, which is interesting. And, and I found myself thinking, is this what it's like when people go crazy? They, they watch themselves. They, they know they're going crazy, but they don't stop it. And then came the dream. <sighs> dream. The website. Sort of based off of, um, I was dreaming about Gordon from Halt and Catch Fire. Oh, I should probably jump in here and just say I was binge watching the TV show Halt and Catch Fire at the time. A really great show. Check it out if you had a chance. But, but I digress. And I had this site that talked about stuff he'd done, but also other people in his life had done. And there was a realization, sort of, everything he wanted was there. In the dream, I was looking at an early 90s era website for the character Gordon Clark from Halt and Catch Fire, which is odd, but like I said, I was binging. Anyway, at some point, it sort of morphed into a website representing my life. Businesses, creations, hobbies, achievements, as well as all of the people in my life. And I had what felt like a realization. And the realization was to have all this, I need to be better. To have all this, I need to be better. And I wrestled with that wording because it implied that I wasn't enough. I didn't deserve it. I, I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't good enough. That it was my fault. But then, as I lay there, absorbing the homepage, I realized that this wasn't everything I wanted to create in my life. It, it wasn't my dream board. This was everything that already was in my life. And that includes imperfections, things unfinished, and things in process. And it is beautiful. It is everything I need. And it hit me. To have all this, I need to be better. <laughs> it didn't mean that I needed to do more. To have all this, I need to be better. I need to be better. I'm missing it all.
I'm so busy being busy. I'm so focused on what I don't have. I'm so busy trying to create what I think I'm missing, that I'm missing what I've already created. And man, that really hit me because that is a theme in my life. Without fail, every romantic relationship I've ever been in, I've looked back and wished that I was present in it more. I spent a lot of time telling myself that in order to be the person I wanted to be, or have the life I wanted to have, that I needed to be something more. And the truth is, I just, I just needed to be more. That was the dream. I just need to be more. An exploration in any form is simple in its intention. Whether that is to get to Mongolia or to find some peace of mind right where you are. And that simple intention can provide you with the mental and emotional mind share to question, ponder, wonder, and discover not only what is around you, but also what is in you. Computers aren't the thing. They're the thing that gets us to the thing. Exploration isn't the thing. It's the thing that gets you to the thing. And that thing will be different with each exploration. Maybe it's finding out what you're made of, or finding empathy for others not like you, who often are more like you than you realize. Or it's humility. Or maybe it's just for a great story. As Bassam's grandfather told him, live an interesting life. No one wants to talk to an old man with no stories to tell. For me, it has been many things. But recently, it's been a reminder that I need to be connected with people and with myself. I, I need to take the time to, to reach out and to let people in. And remember that my life is amazing and I am very privileged. And that sometimes, instead of looking elsewhere for happiness and fulfillment or whatever else I think I need, I just have to be better right here.
A big thanks to Bassam Tarazi for our conversation and for being a great friend to me and the show over the years. In this show, we didn't get into the nitty-gritty of Bassam's incredible journey to complete the Mongol rally in 2014, but his new book definitely does get into it all. It is called Borders, Bandits, and Baby Wipes, and it is now available for pre-order on Amazon.com. Go secure yourself a copy now, and it'll be delivered when it is released on January 9th of the new year. Sounds like a perfect first read for 2018. Happy exploring. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Digs. This is the part of the show where Brett and I share the things that we love, the things we like, the things that we are uh, digging. And and not, you know, just not to interrupt here, Nick, but not just Brett and I. Sometimes we have our team on. Sometimes in the future, we might even have listeners on. You're right. So all of this is a lie. It's a, it's a, you can't trust anything I say. So I don't know what WTS digs anymore. And because of that, uh, usually I'd ask Brett, does he want to go first? But I'm just gonna go first. Oh, all the rules oh, are oh, up so now. It's like that now, too. Brett. Now, okay, okay. You know, I've been really busy. I took a, a lovely uh, staycation over the at the end of Thanksgiving, which is nice. And I'm somebody who definitely um, has to just not do any work because I do not turn off and on very well. Some people are very good at segmenting out and going, I'm working, now I'm not working. That is not me. So I enjoyed that. Um, and recently, and this is sort of a, a light, just sort of, hey, if you need something calming and kind of fun on YouTube, there is a YouTube channel called Alex French Guy Cooking. And he's a chef in, in Paris who just has like a really um, enthusiastic, it's in English mostly, and just is like, I want to discover how to cut an onion faster, or I want to discover how to make the perfect cheese plate, or I want to discover how to make instant ramen, which is how I stumbled on it the other day. What's up guys, salut, welcome back to the Ramen Addiction series. Today I want to answer a very simple question. How to make instant ramen broth? Well, it turns out that this very simple question is more likely to be a very massive problem. And so he just goes video after video and like tries a bunch of stuff in this like warehouse workshop thing he's got. And it's just, it, it definitely could be a Food Network show. He, he edits himself. It's good stuff. He's on Patreon. So um, he's doing all the things. It's Alex French Guy cooking. Um, I'd recommend maybe the ramen thing to start with just because I like ramen so much. So that is it. So that's what I'm digging. So, I went first. So, so it's weird because if someone asked me like, hey, Brett, like, so what's what's Nick like or what's his interest? And I would, you know, talk <laughs> about probably some of the TV shows you watch and I talk about music and I might even say Lego. I mean, you love Lego. But I, I wouldn't think to say cooking, but now we're on three digs, right? You had the, you had the, the, <laughs> the, the, the YouTube channel about the guy who makes the quirky kind you of You suck food. at cooking, you suck cooking. Great. Then we had the British cook-off and now we've oh, got true. Alex French guy. Like you, I, I this is a, now this is a thing. Well, here's the thing is I really, really, really like watching people who know how to do things. Hmm. That's it. And they're just really passionate about it. So okay. and cooking happens to be the one where you see that the most. There used to be a show on Bravo called um, like Sheer Genius. Yeah. Where they would like do like hair. And like but do what was you nice cook? about that is. Like you don't really cook, do you? Like do you kind of get not, into it? I mean, not oh. really. But like Sheer Genius was a reality show where they would do like, like competitions where they cut each other's hair. What was nice about that was that they really cared about cutting hair and they would talk through it and you could see, like, you got the whole picture. The problem with mm. food shows, of course, you don't get to taste the food 
in, in front of them. So I'm, so into I'm realizing like, you're part of this demographic. I believe I'm going to just pick, take a leap and say this demographic exists. And when I say it, people listening okay. probably go, I'm part of that too. You're part of this demographic of people who like to watch cooking shows, but don't actually cook. Yeah. I mean, mostly that's true. Yeah. <laughs> But here's the thing: I like, like give, give me a give me a this old house any day, and I'll watch oh, the crap out I, of that. I, oh, I do love those. And I'm not those house building a house shows. anytime soon. No, I'm a sucker for that. I've I've been in a, in a binge watch afternoon with a house renovation show for sure. Yeah, okay, so anyways. it's it's all it's all the same thing. So anyway, uh, Alex French guy cooking, check it out. It's in the show notes. And since I bullied my way into the first position, Brett, um, I actually do know what you're digging this week. I know, first time ever, you know what I'm digging. So, and there's a reason for that. So my dig is the AMC drama Halt and Catch Fire, which obviously I sort of allude, mention in the show, but, but actually this script, as many scripts of our show do, went through, or this show sort of went through many iterations. And there was an iteration where I used sort of Halt and Catch Fire a lot more and talked about it a lot more. And then I decided, you know what? I'm just going to kind of slip it in there. There's some clips. But uh, the show, I believe not- all of the clips what? that are not sound effects are from Halt and Catch Fire. In this yeah, episode, yeah. Right? There's only like three of them or something, but they're oh, all hey, from Halt something. and Catch Fire. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting, too, that actually it was a Facebook post by Bassam Tarazi, our guest, that mm. turned me on to Halt and Catch Fire. So there's sort of this Bassam is sort of the the chemist of all this in a weird way. Um, so, look, no spoilers. Uh Halt and Catch Fire just completed its four-season run. So if you decide to dive in, you can watch the complete four-season run. The first three are available on Netflix. The fourth one, I would imagine you can get on AMC On Demand. It's also for purchase on iTunes or go find it wherever you find it. Um, but I will say it deserves the title of one of the best series you've probably either never heard of or never watched. Uh, actually, Nick, I think you'll appreciate this. The the emotional ride of the show, it, it, first of all, I think it gets better every season. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. Every season is better than the last but the ride of the show sort of reminds me of the experience I had when I watched Six Feet Under way back in the day. Um, I don't know. Did you watch Six Feet Under? I think the, the end of Six Feet Under is great. The middle of Six Feet Under yeah. is sort of awful. It got a bit messy. <laughs> it got a bit messy. But the yeah. reason I say that is is sort of like Six Feet Under. I mean, I'm, I was fully invested in each of the characters on Halt and Catch Fire and each of their life arcs. And they sort of, they sort of go all over the map. And it's interesting because the show covers 10 years during the sort of in the show. It takes place over 10 years. It, it's sort of covering from the mid 80s and the start of personal computers through to the mid 90s and sort of the personalization of the Internet. Um, but it's really not about technology. It's really sort of about the search for what's next and who we are and connection. And even there was an interview with the co-creator, Christopher Cantwell, recently, and he said, you know, if people take one thing away from the show, it would be that human connection is essential and necessary, but ultimately hard. And, you know, I think everyone can see how that sort of lends itself to what this show that we just shared with you was about. So, so AMC's Halt and Catch Fire, not only a great show, uh, sort of on its own, but also I want to say thank you to the show because it sort of contributed to me in this episode. And, you know, recency bias in check, I would say at the moment, it feels like probably one of my top five series ever. Just wow. in, I mean, that, that, in that's how, saying something. Yeah, they did a really good job. And, you know, a final episode that will not disappoint, which, as we all know, is a big topic of yes. discussion with series. So, uh, Halt and Catch Fire is my dig. Uh, Nick is digging Alex, French guy cooking YouTube channel. And as always, we want to hear what you're digging. So let us know uh, on social media. Uh, email us, connect at where there's smoke, smoke signal us, call us, scream us, scream to us on the street, whatever. We want to know what you're digging. By the way, for the record, if that happens, if I like walk out and I hear the back half of someone's dig, just like in case I was nearby, just like, 
this YouTube, like they just screaming yeah. some Netflix series or some book. Um, I'm going to love that. So I would love that too. That. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? I have so little. <laughs> I have so little. Welcome to the credits. Let's start with a few shout outs to our awesome listeners. Ryan Hilmo tweeted, man, with the headlines always being incredibly stressful, the best way for me to decompress is listening to where there's smoke. Regarding our latest episode on inspiration, Marvin Messenziel tweeted that it was quality level diamond and one of his favorite episodes so far. And Heather Parody said, if you want to better engage with your team, check it out. Heather also sent us some voice memos answering our question from last week, which was, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? The number one thing you can do to help this mission wrapped in a podcast called Where There's Smoke is share the show with people you love. Facebook posts, tweets, Instagrams, and of course, word of mouth. Anyone come to mind as you were listening to this show? Tweet them right now. I mean, unless you are driving or performing brain surgery as you're listening, in those cases, pull over or put down the scalpel first and then send out a text that says, hey, check out this show. I think you'll dig it. In addition, go to wheretheresmoke.co to join our mailing list. And if you ever need anything, you can always reach out to us at connect at wheretheresmoke.co. Where There's Smoke is dreamed up, recorded, explored, driven, navigated, climbed, mowed, programmed, written, produced, and then left to be by Brett Guida and Nick Jaworski. The show is supported by the WTS team that currently includes Kristen McMullen, Teresa Ward, and Dylan Davis. If you have a podcast or you want to make one and you want it to sound awesome, look up Nick at podcastmonster.com. And if you're looking for a keynote speaker panel, analyst or facilitator for an event, reach out to me, Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at wheretheresmoke.co. Our podcast cover was designed by Sam Goff and redesigned by Ricky Rowe at Alchemist Creative. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Speaking of Mr. Jaworski, what other music was featured in this episode? Ooh, so formal. Um, let's see. Today's episode, we include music from Lee Rosever, Ari De Niro, Blue Dot Sessions, Pottington Bear, David Seste, Jean-Luc Hefferman, and of course, Kevin McLeod. And with that, we'll leave you with a little Gordon wisdom from Halt and Catch Fire in a clip that feels like it somehow connects the message of this show with our Ahead by a Century show. I mean, as they say, whoever they are, it's all connected. It's all happening right now. I don't know what comes next. Most of us in the human race, uh, we don't get to know what's next. And we just feel shit as it's thrown at us. This, right now, is all there is. Welcome to the future, Joe McMillan. I mean, I can't speak for anyone else, but I'm sure glad to have you here. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next time.